The Housewives of Wales. <laughs> it's not the Housewives of Wales. House Witches, yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to The Real House Witches of South Wales. Beautiful, loved it, Hi. fantastic. Hey, Laura, are you okay? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I saw you yesterday for the first time in about like eight months face to face, so that was great. It was great. Yeah, it's first time we've seen each other since August, so there we go. Yeah, we went for a nice little walk in the park, mm. which was nice. Happy Aries season, happy spring yeah. equinox. Today we are talking about the history of Welsh witchcraft, and we have a very special guest here with us today. Um, Mara, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. Hello, my name is Mara Starling. I am a Welsh witch. I'm actually from North Wales, so we've got real house witches of North Wales here too today. Yes, <laughs> and, um, even better. Yeah, I do. I make yeah. content surrounding um, Welsh witchcraft, paganism and Celtic mythology on TikTok as well as Instagram. And I'm also soon to be an author <laughs> on the subject as well. Fantastic. So tell us about your book. Well, um, I've got a contract with Huellin Worldwide, one of the biggest publishers for mind, body, spirit, witchcraft and occult books going at the minute. And I'm really excited. I can't say too much about it because it's still in the works. But um, all I can say is if you enjoy my content <laughs> online or if you have any inclination towards Welsh Celtic practices and such, you'll love it. <laughs> we, we do like your um, content. Uh, me and Laura have tagged each other in your videos countless times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Laura actually studied um, history. So oh, she's, lovely. She's got a eye for history as well. Yes, I, I have done a bit of Welsh history, um, but not so much, you know, like the witchcraft side of things I don't really know of any like witchcraft trials in Wales you hear about you know like York and Exeter but maybe that's something you can tell us more about actual like famous witchcraft trials in Wales if there are any absolutely well one of the reasons you might not have heard about any witch trials in Wales or famous witch trials is because we didn't have as many in Wales as they did in England, the Lowlands of Scotland, or most of Europe. In fact, I found a quote the other day when I was reading a historical journal um, where they said there were more witchcraft trials per county in England, per individual county, than there was in the entire of Wales. And I just, I love the uh, reading into the history of it because it's so interesting that we did have witch trials. One of my famous, uh, one of my famous, one of my favorite ones is the trial of Gwen Verch Ellis, uh, which took place up in North Wales. And that was the first woman to ever be actually accused and then also persecuted and possibly killed on accounts of witchcraft. It was quite rare really for witch trials to happen in Wales. It was more common for people to take men to court for um, slandering them and referring to them as witches than it was for women to be taken to court or anyone to be taken to court on accusations of witchcraft. Why do you think that was? Why do you think Wales kind of had a kind of different approach? Uh, well, according to, now this is just based on um, the books I've read. So according to Ronald Hutton and Richard Sudgett, which are the top kind of historians leading the way in terms of Welsh witchcraft and such, they say that a lot of it had to do with the Welsh beliefs in uh, the fairies or the, the fair folk, the Tolwith Teg and the Echich and Coblanai and Bubachod and all those lovely creatures we have from our folklore. So it was more likely that um, people would blame any kind of supernatural occurrences or occurrences that they'd consider supernatural on fairies if they were going to blame anyone rather than witches. 
But then when you go into the more mundane reasons behind it, it could be because we had a tradition. There was already a well-established tradition of folk magical practices in Wales. And in most of Britain, um, outside of Wales, the idea of folk magic and witchcraft were very separate. The cunning folk and the witches were considered two completely different things. Whereas in Wales, the line was a bit blurred and it's quite similar in Cornwall as well. The line was blurred and they kind of saw the cunning folk and the conciliators and swinabesses and such, the swin, as we would call them now, they saw those as kind of an amalgamation between cunning folk and witches. So they could harm, but they could also heal. And so it was really hard to convince the Welsh that magic was bad. And there was actually a load of, if you go through Richard Sedgett's book, he talks about, there's a, a book called Dicameron Taring, which is a whole Welsh language book, which is basically a propaganda manual written by a priest who went to train in England to try and convince the Welsh, hey, magic's bad by the way you shouldn't be enjoying this you should you shouldn't be uh, allowing these people to exist in the communities and the welsh just turned around and went nah <laughs> and then there's also um a little bit of talk about how it could have also been a situation where um the welsh might have refused to convict as many witches because they didn't have as much of a cultural understanding of what a witch was due to what i've just spoken about now but also as a little bit of um, salty behaviour towards England in a way, because uh, they didn't want to be ruled by the government of England even back then. And um, they were kind of going, well, just because it's happening over there doesn't mean it has to happen here. So there's a lot of different theories as to why it was. I like the fairy theory. <laughs> I like the fairy theory. I think that's a great theory. From what I yeah. kind of gathered from it, do you think it's the case of kind of the Welsh people at the time kind of being a bit defiant and maybe kind of turning a blind eye? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's been a few historians who have talked about how the court cases in Wales were very different to the court cases in England. If you were to accuse someone of witchcraft, it was very likely that the court case wouldn't happen for about nine to ten months after the accusation first happened so a lot can happen in that time and it might just be that they were like oh, I can't be bothered anymore I can't be bothered accusing this lady anymore it's over and done with that was ten months ago but then there was also a case of the people who were on the jury and the actual judges of these court cases they just didn't see it as um, as important as the judges in England did either. Interesting so when I kind of think of Welsh um, witchcraft at the minute because I, I practice witchcraft so I, I, I call myself a witch. Um, Laura is more of a kind of spiritual being. Um, me and Laura bonded over like ghosts and the paranormal and that sort of stuff and then as time has yeah. gone on especially lately I've been talking to Laura because I think I look at Laura and I'm like Laura like you are so witchy but yeah. how do you think kind of it's changed from how it was back then how do you think the idea of witchcraft has kind of stayed here in Wales? You know, we are always kind of, kind of this mystical country. Absolutely. I mean, um, what really fascinates me about Wales is, especially where I'm from, so I'm from Anismon, the Isle of Anglesey, right up at the top in North Wales. And we had a, um, I've only just learned about this and it's really exciting. <laughs> and I'm like, should I, should I give it away or should I keep it for a book? But no, I, I really want to share it. Uh, there was a magical um, society or group active in Anglesey back in the early 20th century, um, way before things such as Wicca came to light or uh, came into influence. 
And um, these, this magical group was called Kilch Kavrin, which is uh, the mystic circle or the secret circle. And they operated in a very kind of druidic expression. So they, um, they honored and worshiped Gwydion, which is one of the characters from the Mabinogi, uh, the magician character. And their practice was kind of like this fusion between what we now know of as modern witchcraft and modern druidry fused together into one. And that took place long before the introduction of Wicca and modern witchcraft into uh, the British consciousness. And it's just, it's truly fascinating to me because there's literally things being found, little kind of charms and such being found from these people from like the 1920s, 1930s. Their practices were so unique compared to most other modern magical practices or occult traditions that developed around that period. And I think a lot of it has to do with the tradition of magic that we have within our mythology, within our landscape. A lot of people uh, assume that not many people in Wales knew about our folklore or mythology until fairly recently in the 20th or 21st century. It's obvious based on groups like that existing that that's not the case. It was very, very apparent in the consciousness and it's carried on like that. And then, like I said, we had the whole tradition of magical specialists who people went to for help and support. I think magic just seems to permeate in Wales and is never seen as purely bad. And you can see that not just in history throughout our interaction with magic, but also in folklore and myth and everything. There's so many folk tales about people who practice magic in Wales where the outcome doesn't end with them being seen as evil, but instead seen as just people who might be flawed. And I think that would influence a lot of witchcraft in Wales. And I'm glad that a lot of people today who see themselves as witches are moving more towards being influenced by that history, that continuum of magical practice that we have and that mythology and that deep spiritual connection we have to our landscape rather than looking at the uh, more English traditions of Wicca and occultism and such. It's really interesting and really exciting. Wales is just, the whole landscape is so fascinating and the folklore of it and then the tales of witchcraft are really interesting. Personally, like a book like yours is something that I feel like is missing because when I try to research Welsh uh, history and Welsh witchcraft history, it's very much like, it seems to be like lost in history sort of thing. You don't really know where to find any of that. So when I came across your TikTok, I was like, oh, great. There's somebody here who is putting this at the forefront. Laura, I don't know about you, but do you find that you don't really hear much about Wales in this sort of context? Yeah, and that's why I mentioned it at the start, you know, like in terms of like, you know, well-known stories, there aren't really that many at all. I have read somewhere that, because my my mum's in folk dancing, a Welsh folk dancing group, and of course, they have the traditional Welsh costume with like the point, not the pointy hat, but like the big black hat. I think I've read somewhere that that has something to do with witchcraft, but it's like not like confirmed. But is it like a theory that that hat as part of the Welsh costume is something to do with that? Uh, yeah, so Richard Sudgett talks about that a little bit in his book. So he's got a book called A History of Magic and Witchcraft in Wales, and he's probably the leading figure in terms of the history of witchcraft. And he talks about how um, a lot of the imagery that stemmed from the period in which the witch trials were taking place in England, a lot of the imagery of what they associated with the witch came from Wales. So obviously there's a lot of nuance to that discussion. There's a lot of historical 
basis as to where the witch's hat might have come from but the idea that it might have come from Welsh traditional dress is very likely as well or at least in part likely especially because when we look at witch trials such as Pendle which is infamous the Pendle witch trials the witches of Pendle were said to have been initiated by a witch from Penmine Mawr <laughs> and it's like there's a whole tradition and history of magical practitioners in England, folk magical practitioners, cunning folk, wise women and such, saying and claiming that they were initiated into magic and taught magic by Welsh witches, which really leads into this idea that the English had a very, especially back then in the early modern period, had a very strong magical idea of what Wales was. <laughs> it's like, it's a land of witches and giants and dragons and weirdness. And yeah, so I definitely think there could be, and I'm not the only one who thinks it, that there could be some connection between what the English thought of as a witch and the Welsh. <laughs> I, I still see Wales as that place that is full of magic and giants and the fairies and all that sort of stuff. You know, Wales <laughs> is very, uh, very special. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know about the Pendle trials and their link to Welsh witch there. That's really interesting. When we kind of talk about Welsh witchcraft, what made you want to share your stuff on TikTok? What made you want to do that? Well, um, TikTok is a bit of a a bit of a strange story and will make me sound like the most ridiculous person in the world but um I started my TikTok out of bitterness really because <laughs> I I went on to TikTok one day I think we all downloaded it when lockdown first started and we were just bored and I downloaded it and I just out of curiosity I searched Welsh witchcraft yeah. or Welsh witch <laughs> and um when I searched Welsh witchcraft or Welsh paganism, there was this one video that came up of this American lady who was telling her audience about Rhiannon, the Welsh goddess uh -huh. Rhiannon. Mm. And she started going on about um, Rhiannon is the goddess of, and I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And she started describing Rhiannon as the goddess of inspiration who has a magical cauldron and that Rhiannon is the Welsh witch and that Stevie Nicks was inspired by her. And then I was listening to her video and I was thinking, you're describing Ceridwen, not Rhiannon right uh, there. Mm. And it was kind of like, I, I went through the Welsh witchcraft tag and there was a lot of this going on. There was a lot of um, not to be horrible to the American creators, but a lot of American creators sharing misinformation. And I just thought, oh no, I have to do something about this. <laughs> and so I created my account and started sharing it. But um, I actually have a YouTube channel as well. My YouTube channel was started because I just felt like there was nothing out there. And I felt really privileged because I, um, I have a friend named Christopher Hughes, who is the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order. And he's an author. He writes um, the book of Celtic magic. And he's just come out with a new book called Keritwen, Celtic Goddess of Inspiration. And he's also with Huellen. And I went to him a few years back and I asked, can you please just tell me where to find information about Welsh witchcraft? And he being the great friend that he is, he gave me a whole stack of books that I could look at that were historical, folkloric and all that. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't have that privilege of having someone like Chris who knows this stuff through and through to point you in the right direction. And it's really shocked me because a lot of the books I've found that detail the lore surrounding witchcraft and magic in Wales are not books about witchcraft or magic or folklore. Like I've got one here and it's a book all about farming, but it has a whole section on charms and protective charms that you can place on the farm. And um, I think I just wanted to get onto 
the internet and try and share these things. And I found that there's definitely an audience for it because there's people from Wales who are searching for this. And then there's also the Americans who have, um, and the Australians and the Canadians who have Welsh ancestry, who want to know more about their ancestry as well. And I think a lot of the, the Welsh Celtic pagan information out there is very focused on druidry um but we do have a whole continuum of magic and folk magical practices as well so i just i really wanted to share it <laughs> and and you've done really well you know it's, it's well worth you sharing that information because i mean you know you've got so many people learning from you which is the most important thing because when it comes to witch chalk if we're going to call it that you know when it comes to that there is a lot on there that you need to take with a pinch of salt because it's very much misleading or false information or they're kind of on the right track but unless you you know in your case which you knew you knew that wasn't mm. the right <laughs> info whereas somebody else who's trying to learn on there might not have so um I, you you were definitely onto the right thing and that, that's why we found your account so um valuable when we were trying to look into things and learning from it because it was just it was good information I was I was going to ask you actually about um how you learned it and how you got that knowledge but I think you kind of answered it when you said with those books what what type of things do you do in your practice how, how do you find that my practice is very much focused on learning so um when you read about the history of folk magical practitioners in Wales a huge motif that you see in almost every single book that talks about traditional folk magical practices of Wales is that the traditional practitioners, the Swinwyr, um, the terminology for witches in Wales, a lot of people think that it's grach, but the term grach was actually quite a different term. Originally it meant hag and it was not associated with witches at all. It was just anything that was hag-like. And then over time, especially in modern Welsh, it's become associated with witch because we associate those terms hag and witch as being one and the same. But historically, uh, witches were referred to if you were a female, you were a swinwraig or a swinadests. And if you were a male, you were a swinur. And if you were anything in between, <laughs> not that that is exist. I don't know why um, we have this term, but it's very useful that we do for anyone who identifies beyond the gender binary. We also have swin or swinwir, which is a gender neutral term. So the swinwir, they are often described as being very similar to the cunning folk of England. But we do have our own version of that as well, the Dunyona Graketh Hospice. And they're always described as having an abundance, like a huge collection of old, dusty books and being very much obsessed with learning, obsessed with reading. So a lot of my practice at the minute is focused on learning and reading and studying, especially because within Wales we have the bardic tradition, the tradition of um, poetry and stories and folk tales and myths that permeate our landscape. And then also beyond that, my practice also includes a lot of connectivity to the landscape itself. So I, I like to connect to my region. So within Wales, we believed throughout history, uh, there was this animalistic, uh, animistic even, animistic approach to the world. Everything has a spirit. Everything has some form of spirit within it. And that idea seemed to permeate throughout Welsh history. So even throughout the early modern period where Christianity took hold on the entirety of Wales, we still have this animistic kind of, oh, everything has a spirit. And that's where our fairy law comes from. The idea that our house has a spirit, our hearth has a spirit, our garden has a spirit, and there's also spirits in the land. It's one of the things talking about witch talk 
that I get a bit frustrated about because when we talk about fairies specifically, there's a very black and white kind of narrative where it's like, oh, either fairies are Tinkerbell and they're these sparkly, glittery, kind of perfect angelic beings, or they're completely evil and you should stay away from them. And the reality is a bit more in the middle. It's a bit more blurred. The attitude that a lot of people had towards fairies in Wales was very much stay on their good side, but don't ignore them because that'll, ma- that'll make them angry as well. And the magical practitioners of Wales did call upon the spirits of the land, which are very much the echich and the spirits of the landscape, the fae, the fairies, the Tulwith Teg. And um, I find it very interesting how there's so many witches on there warning against, like, do not work with the Fae at all. And as a witch who works with the spirits of the landscape, I do kind of find it a bit jarring because I'm like, well, how can you, if the fairies are the spirits of the trees, the landscape, the rivers, how can you call yourself a witch who works with the natural world and then say that you don't work with those spirits? I don't understand that. So a lot of my practice is focused on connecting to the spirits of the land, the spirits of my home, the spirits of the trees, and then also herbalism and studying into things like that, because we have a whole tradition of that as well. (laughs) I've seen those videos on um, Witch Talk of the um, don't speak to the Fae because um, you will die. (laughs) Um, It's very extreme. Um, Laura, do you know, I'm not sure what your feed is like on TikTok because when I go on TikTok it's literally like one funny video and then the rest of it is like tarot card readings and astrology and witchcraft um but Laura what's 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 your experience with that have you come across like the fae videos no with me it's like it is a little bit of that but it's more like astrology it's not like probably not as much as you're getting on like the witch talk side of things I seem to get all the astrology videos because that's what I you know that's what comes up on my FYP as you call it so no I haven't come across that deep side of it yet no not yet anyway (laughs) my knowledge of the Fae is not great you know I don't know much about it and um, then the side I hear a lot about is that the TikTok side of things where you know you avoid them but from hearing what you're saying and you know how you how you speak about them you speak of them fondly you know and it's very much like kind of a relationship you have with a with a deity you know it's kind of like it's you you create this sort of bond it's a, it's a friend almost you know you, but you know you kind of got to not go past those boundaries in certain terms or whatever it is whoever you're working with for the people who might not know about you know the fae or might be thinking oh I'd like to develop my relationship with nature and work with the fae what would you say how would you say about going about that I always kind of preface the talk of fairies when it comes to Wales and Welsh folklore with uh, a little bit of a caution that fairies tend to come in two different types in Wales uh, within our folklore and traditions. There's two very different beings who seem to have been mashed together in the more modern context in order to be seen as like these are the fairies. The, The original, the more folkloric beliefs surrounding fairies seem to state that So there's one category of fairies that are literally, they're human. They're very much like us. You can touch them, you can feel them, you can mate with them and make babies. You do not really, you can't really tell the difference between a human and those types of fairies. And those fairies are usually referred to as the Talwith Teg, the Grake Danovan, or the Benditha Mamai, which is a big one in South Wales. Those words, just in and of themselves, the Tulwith Teg, for example, just literally translates to mean the fair family. And then Grake uh, Danovan just means wives or maids of the lower worlds of the other world. 
and then also Bendith Mamai, which is the blessings of the mother. There are some theories that originally they were called uh, Mechtith Mamai, which is curses of the mother, but it's considered really unlucky to speak ill of the Fae. A lot of people think that maybe they switched it to Bendith Mamai because it's nicer and it's less likely to bring bad luck upon you. But there's also a theory that the term Bendith Mamai might mean that it's something to do with the fact that your fairy nature has come to you from your mother's side, which a lot of the, it's, it's interesting that that term is more common in South Wales because a lot of South Welsh uh, folklore surrounding fairies does include uh, fairy women being mated with to create babies. So the idea that there's people among us who are half fairy, part fairy, or some form of amalgamation. So there's that type, there's that type which are, um, what I call the corporeal fairies. They're, they're, they live on the other world sometimes, but they're very much just like us, except maybe they'll sometimes be prettier, and they usually come from some other world, such as Anovan or the Gwerdonai Hion, the Meadows of Enchantment. But then the other type of it, which is the type I work with predominantly, and I think that any witch interested in working with the natural world should work with, are the ethereal type, the, the types that are more spiritual in nature. And that's your echich, your bubachod or puka, and uh, koblanai, and the, the type that you would imagine when somebody, if you ask someone to draw a fairy and beyond, you know, Tinkerbell, if someone was to draw a goblin or something, that's this type. And a lot of people in the past did refer to them as goblins as one huge category. So you've got the household goblins and then the household uh, elves or such. And then the echich, which is a term that is of, often translated to mean elves in Welsh. So it's just the Welsh word for elf. But in reality, the word echich might have more in common with the word element or elemental. So it's just a word that describes any elemental being, the, the literal embodiment of an elemental space or a natural space. So it could literally be the spirit of a river, the spirit of a tree, the spirit of the landscape. And those are the spirits I call to in my practice. And of course, just like working with any spirit, caution should be taken. And I think a lot of the warnings about working with the Fae or interacting with the Fae are more so for people who know nothing about them, people who know absolutely nothing about them. It's a case of if you know nothing, stay clear. But if you are willing to do your work and your research, then you can probably forge a connection. And I think that's the spirit of witchcraft through and through this whole idea of um, connecting to elements of the world that other people might find scary or challenging. It's, it's so fascinating. I, I don't, don't know about you, Laura, but like, I just love it <laughs> I didn't know anything <laughs> same yeah yeah that, I think that's why it's great to um to have found you on TikTok and to have you here because Welsh history and also just Welsh witchcraft history is just something that we kind of overlook I mean especially here in South Wales you just don't really hear about it you know and it's hard to find that information so um it's great to share all of that we are almost at the end but I do have kind of a question and I'm afraid I am gonna probably butcher the Welsh language so um I apologize for that would somebody be able to kind of work with or kind of appreciate or bring into their practice something like the Mary Cloyd because I love that (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, um, the Druid Order of Angle. obsessed with the Mary Lloyd. <laughs> I literally am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it true that um, that's the horse that Rhiannon is riding? Um, that's one <laughs> interpretation of it. The Mary Lloyd is it's it's a bit of an interesting uh, ideology and 
belief practice because we don't really know where it comes from. We don't really know the history of it. Uh, again, Ronald Hutton, another one who's great, another historian or anthropologist who works a lot with these kind of things. He's written a whole book called Stations of the Sun. And that's all about the traditions of Britain as a whole, but there's a lot of Wales in there. And he talks about the Maddie Lloyd briefly. And obviously there's similar traditions uh, in England as well, there's similar traditions of the hobby horse and different things like that. But the Maddie Lloyd is a strange one because we don't have any record of it up until, say, the 18th or 19th century. And then a lot of people claim, well, it must be quite modern then if that's the case, if we don't have a record of it. But just because we don't have a record of it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It might just not have been recorded by many people. And there's very much, I mean, if you look at it, if you look at that horse skull with the decorative everything, you can just tell there's something archaic and old about that, something spiritual in there. And so, yeah, some people do reference it as being uh, related to Rhiannon because of her relation with horses. But I think it's more to do with our our inclination towards death, because there's a huge love of death and darkness within Wales. Um, there's so many traditions surrounding death. And this idea of the Mary Lloyd being this harbinger of winter at the end of winter as well, uh, which is a time period, of course, back then when a lot of people would have been dying because of cold and lack of food supply and such and a lot of the traditions surrounding the Marie Lloyd started as a way for poor people to get food and drink but a lot of pagans can incorporate it and do incorporate it into their modern practices and I think it's the best way if you are trying to create a spiritual practice that is purely Welsh is to take inspiration from these old folk practices. Uh, the Druid Order of Anglesey have implemented the Maddie Lloyd into their winter solstice traditions and they have a whole selection of rituals and rites they do surrounding the Maddie. I, I really want to create a Maddie Lloyd at some point. I think the Maddie Lloyd can definitely play a huge part within modern paganism and modern witchcraft for anyone looking to embody the spirit of Wales <laughs> especially if you're from down south <laughs> yeah yeah I just love her I, I just find her like fascinating just love her so much I've got a tattoo of her actually on my um on my leg thanks so much yeah. for coming on to talk with us we really appreciate that really interesting like I've definitely learned something <laughs> I think Laura you've probably learned stuff as well yeah oh yeah <laughs> Where can people find you um, if they want to kind of follow you or learn more about Welsh witchcraft? Um, if you want to find me anywhere across all social media, I'm usually known as Mara Starling on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram and TikTok, as well as Twitter, though my Twitter is just a, a lot of fun. <laughs> it's not really serious, whereas my TikTok and YouTube is probably the best place if you want to learn. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. We were so glad when you said that you were willing to come on really yeah really appreciate it thanks everybody for listening to um this great episode about welsh witchcraft um it kind of made sense for us to talk about welsh witchcraft and we had a great guest to talk about it with us um and even better that you're from north wales as well because that kind of brings in that other side of wales which is just amazing thanks everyone for listening please share this and tell your friends tell your mum tell your dad tell your dog tell your cat and share it to the world review us and yeah join us next week when we discuss something else I'm not sure what that is yet but we will decide see you soon bye <laughs> bye <laughs> bye